found recently in a cave by Israeli archaeologists. Scientists at CERN have announced the discovery with 99.999% certainty that the exposure does exist the so-called God particle. It's hard to imagine that all of this was once underwater. Remnants of a vast ancient lake can still be seen in the distance. In fact, there has never been a radiometric analysis that simply produces ages that validate to the known ages of rocks. Yay! Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Quirks of Creation. I'm Elise Malone, and with me tonight is my co-host, my... Um, Oh, how do we say this? My um, tonight, I'm going to say the oil to my vinegar. Just I home. like it. <laughs> <laughs> we are excited to be bringing you another episode. Jess, what are we talking about tonight? So today we are getting right into the controversy. Everybody's heard about seed oils. People say they were heart healthy. Now everybody's saying they're demonic, and we're just going to get to the root of it. We're going to get to the truth of it. So I hope you guys are super excited today. Because I found a lot, and it's not as straightforward as I thought it was going to be. Yay! I'm so excited to hear all about this because, yeah, there's uh, there's lots of controversy, and I can't wait to hear your take on it so I can go away doing maybe something better for myself. <laughs> That's always the hope. And so I, I guess we'll just start at the beginning and start off with what a seed oil is um, because some people are just like is it any type of oil and seed oils in particular come from as you imagine seeds so things like peanuts avocados sunflower seeds the one i'm going to focus on primarily tonight is going to be canola oil which comes from the rapeseed i know that sounds really terrible which is why we call it canola now and i'll i'll go into kind of like what where the name canola came from but this is in like a lot of vegetable oils soybean is also another one that's in a lot of vegetable oils but the rapeseed is the one that we think of when we think of canola oil so if you guys uh saw these pictures if you're just listening uh canola plant uh, is this little yellow flower it's derived from Brassius napus, or the rapeseed plant, and the name rapeseed comes from the Latin word rapum, which means turnip, which I think is hilarious because when I look at this little yellow flower, I don't really think of turnip. No, definitely not. I would never have guessed that. <laughs> Latin is so funny. The way they name stuff in science is just so funny to me. And the second half of the name, the genus Brassica, indicates that it's part of the mustard seed family. Huh. Again, Maybe another that's... thing I wouldn't really think of when I think of oil, mustard seed. No, nope. but yeah, nope. it, it, it's kind of interesting that way. And and the seeds are kind of interesting too. Uh, if you guys uh, are looking at it, audio listeners, this is why you guys need to come on over to Rumble and Odyssey so you can see all of these great pictures. Because uh, right now I have these tiny, tiny little black seeds. They look almost like poppy seeds. I feel like. Yes, definitely. Uh, yeah. Uh, and inside these tiny little seeds is locked up this little carbohydrate. And that is our oil that has to be extracted. So as you can mm. imagine, you need a lot of seeds to get enough oil to make it worth your time. Right, right, right. And does this grow pretty fast? I mean, can they 
or do you just have to have a huge, a huge amount of it? They do grow pretty quickly and, you know, they use those, I'm going to get the agricultural term wrong, but those big tractors that have the big turbines on them that like kind of combines, combines, that's it. Uh, Yeah. That pull them up and kind of like shuck them for you and get the seeds off. Right. Thank goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Could you imagine just sitting there going, okay, I got you now. Tiny little seed. (laughs) That would take so long. Oh, no, no, thank you. (laughs) Right. Um, And I'm sure many people clicked on this podcast or tuned in to hear me say that canola oil or seed oil is a totally new invention and it's the start of all of our troubles. And while I will have some problems maybe to talk about with rapeseed oil, but it's actually not very new, Hmm. which kind of surprised me when I was going to look into it. Because when I think of ancient oils, that have been used in history, I typically think of olive oil. Yes, definitely. Not really the seed oils, but actually rapeseed oil was used very heavily in the past. It was used in Japan alongside sesame oil and soy oil since the advent of a Buddhist tradition called Shojin Ryori. This is basically their version of veganism. So all of their food is cooked in, instead of like butter or lard, it's cooked in rapeseed oil which i thought oh wow and this was taking place during the kamakura period so think the 1100 so that was a long time ago long time ago oh my so they were picking these little seeds (laughs) (laughs) yeah this was before the combine so yeah (laughs) at some point in time somebody was picking out these tiny little poppy seeds to get out the tiny little oil so the vegan buddhists could have their food yes how fortunate were they? Maybe, oh my gosh. Maybe that was like a, I'm just thinking, a punishment. Like, oh, you've been a bad Buddhist monk this week. You're going to have to go pick You have to go pick out. You got to go pick the rape seat. You got to go pick the rape seat. Oh my gosh. And you think vegans now are annoying. Could you imagine <laughs> back then? No. That's hilarious. Uh, right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I wow. did find a cool video of like the ancient tradition of how they extracted it. So they'd put together these like layers, these bundles of the dried out rapeseed plant and just compress them with like this steel bar is what it looks like. And yeah. just push it down and push it down <clears throat> in like layers and layers until it gets some of the oil out. I just thought it was really cool. So uh- I wanted to show you guys. No, I was going to ask, like, how did they even do this? And I mean, teasing about them, like, handpicking the rapeseed. But, I mean, they're... Right. Humans have always been... Um, ingenuity has always been our thing, I think. Yeah. So, even then, I'm sure they had so yeah, many they awesome have. techniques. But Look at that. Wow. So, there... Okay, so, for people who are listening, it's what, like... I don't even know how you would describe that. They're basically using a rope and like a steel log and swinging it back and forth to really compress these layers of dried out rapeseed together and and just using compression, like sheer force to force all of the oil out of these seeds. And they, yeah, as you can see, they're like 
basically forcing these blocks together and it pours out into this trough where it's collected. And that's just the raw oil. After that, it has to go through a filtering process to get off any organic layer or leftover seed cartilage that's left over. So it's safe to eat. Right. My I goodness. just thought that was really cool. Uh, we'll definitely include the link to that video because I think it's really cool to just kind of sit and watch them go through the whole process. Uh, I see in the chat, Abby Livy asked, why is it called that? I just went over this, Abby, <laughs> for those of you who missed it. It comes from the name Brassus napbus. Remember, that comes from the Latin root word rapum, which means turnip. Rapum, rapeseed. I know, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, here we are. <laughs> Nevertheless, here we are. Um, so, yeah, once they get the oil, they pass it through the filters to get rid of all of that excess. Uh, and then the oil is stored in stainless steel vats and transferred into bottles for use. So I think that is all pretty cool. And that's how it yeah. was done way back then. <laughs> um, and this is a type of extraction method called cold pressing. This is actually where we get the term extra virgin oils. I always mm -hmm. wondered why we called it extra virgin. like. That's a weird word right, to right. use when you're talking about food. Um, <laughs> but it just means that heat wasn't used okay. during the extraction process. And I so, always thought it was like a purity thing. <laughs> well, yes. Actually, it, it is a purity thing because no heat is used. So you're getting the purest form of the oil. Without gotcha. doing any solvent extract, you're literally just crushing it like we saw. Yeah. No other process is done. Gotcha. Um, and so, I'm sure there's a joke in there somewhere, but I'm not even <laughs> going to touch it. I'm just going <laughs> to. Abby Olivia over on Rumble said, extra virgin rapeseed oil. I mean, th I think that's the joke. <laughs> I think that is the joke. <laughs> yep. There's their marketing right there. Yep. That's solid <laughs> marketing. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, Yeah. Modern day, the way they cold press it is by using this instrument, which is, um, I have the name for it. I lost, it's a screw press. I figured that's what it was. It's called the screw press. So again, if you're listening, it's basically this big steel screw. So it, instead of using human force to push the seeds together, it's using robots to basically rotate the screw and press them together to extract the oil. So far less labor intensive. There you go. Very nice. <laughs> that is rather better. than just smushing it. Yeah, it's rather a... than just smushing it together. <laughs> um, and as you, people might say, oh, well, what about heat from the machinery, right? And mm. the machines should never get above 120 degrees Fahrenheit or 49 degrees Celsius. So they still have to keep the machines relatively cool for it to still be considered uh, extra virgin or virgin olive oil, or not just olive oil, any of these or oils. Any, any of the oils, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. For it to be virgin or cold press. So it has <laughs> to stay below a certain temperature in order for it to pass. Um, and so after pressing it out, again, they filter it. What is really interesting is about one third of that oil is left behind in that pulp. So they get as much as they can of it out, but it's not exactly 100% efficient. 
So a lot of time that leftover pulp is used in animal feed. It's considered mm. like a, uh, a, it's seed filler. So if you look at the back of your dog food and it says uh, like a certain nut protein, that's what it is. It's the leftover protein from the seed pressing. Gotcha. Yeah. Nothing, nothing goes to waste. <laughs> nothing goes to waste, which I actually appreciate about yes. this method. Uh, while it's not as efficient at getting out the rest of those oils, it's efficient in the use of everything that's left over. Right. So that's cold pressing. Of course, the other type of method then has to be heat pressing. Heat pressing. So yeah. it's like, how can we make this method better? How can we get... When, you'll never get 100%, but how could we get up to like 99% of the oil out of the seed? And so instead of just doing the cold press where you just screw it together, they do something called flaking to basically scrub it down into tiny parts. So now it's in smaller particles and then they bake it for mm. a, a certain amount of time. It depends on the type of seed we're dealing with. Uh, for rapeseed, it's typically less than five minutes at 240 to deg 48 degrees Fahrenheit. So pretty hot. And then yeah. they go into the pressing. So ideally, you warm the molecules up inside the seed so the oil is willing to come out a little bit more. So, gotcha. so it's easier to get more of the oil out of the seed, but you don't know what you're breaking down in that heating process. So just kind of keep that in the back of your head as you think about heat pressing. Um, and some say that the purpose of this roasting, that's what they call this roasting, was to burn off uh, tychochrominols and phosphates from the seeds, which would have otherwise given it uh, the oil a nasty, bitter flavor. Right. But I've had virgin olive oil. I've never noticed a bitter flavor. Um, and that could be because I get it prepackaged. I don't know what happens between, you know... The cold right. pressing and it arriving in the grocery store. Right. But that's the claim. Others have argued that the mere act of heating the seeds at such a high temperature caused some of the fatty acids in the oils begin to break down. And that's what causes the nasty flavor. So gotcha. it, you got two arguments for uh, both heating and not heating. And there's even more to it than that. Because even after heating, you still don't get close enough to that 99% of extraction. So it's like, how can we get even more out? More efficient. <laughs> we need more. Yes. We need more. <laughs> and this, I think, is where people get a little concerned when they think about seed oils because they use a solvent extraction process. Mm. Now, just speaking as a chemist, a solvent is something that dissolves something else, right? right. You use water as a solvent when you make coffee. Solvents aren't necessarily bad. Right. It just depends on what you're using as a solvent. Yes. And in the case of seed oil extractions, they use hexane. So this is a picture of hexane. It is a six uh, carbon long carbohydrate. Um, so it's just six carbons, whole bunch of hydrogens, all in one chain. Gotcha. Um, Hexane is a very powerful solvent. Uh, I used it quite a lot when I was doing graduate level research, but we had to be very careful with that because if you read the material safety data sheet about it, 
Uh, it will tell you things like acute short-term inhalation exposure to humans at high levels of hexanes can cause uh, like mild central nervous system effects, including like dizziness, <laughs> giddiness, <laughs> nausea, headaches. I'm sitting here wondering, hmm, I wonder why I had so many headaches in grad school. Oh, geez. <laughs> Yikes. So one of the things to help prevent that type of thing happening is by using a fume hood. So here's a picture of a fume hood. It's basically this giant metal box that you do all of your chemistry experiments in, and it sucks all of the vapors out and vents it out into the atmosphere, whether it's good to be <laughs> venting all of that into the atmosphere. Eh, it's not bothering you though. So it's not bothering me. I mean, some, uh, to be fair, some fume hoods pass it through a capture filter hmm. to capture some of the fumes. So it doesn't go out and it's trapped. Nice. That, those are expensive fume hoods. I can imagine. It reminds <laughs> me of like your kitchen hood, you know, when you're cooking on the stove and you turn the Mm -hmm. fan on over that kind of to pull all that out yeah that's it's exactly it. What, yeah uh, it's almost what it looked like except with a box <laughs> except in a box except yeah. in a box <laughs> i think that's a perfect analogy because that's basically what that is in your yeah. kitchen it's yeah. venting out all of the smoke you're making or <laughs> that i make when i don't know how to cook <laughs> i don't know about y'all yeah. yep pretty much <laughs> yeah. um but that's just uh acute exposure Long-term exposure to hexanes in the air is associated with polyneuropathy in humans, which is like numbness in your fingers, muscle weakness, blurred vision, again, headaches. Everything causes a headache. Breathing right. in and out causes a headache. <laughs> um, yes. So like not great stuff. Neurotoxic effects have also been observed in rats. We'll talk about rat studies later. <laughs> so you get the idea. Hexane, eh, kind of yeah. not super great. And when you use it as a solvent, you're probably getting there. But when you use it as a solvent to make these oils, does it stay in the oils after they've been, I don't know, So the claim is or, no. That's mm -hmm. the claim, right? right? That they use it as an – and this is what I did too. I would use it as a method for extracting something and then filter off what I wanted and then evaporate the rest of the hexane off. Now, there is a – molecular analyzing technique called nuclear magnetic resonance. We call it NMR. And a lot of times I would take NMR data and sometimes you still see that hexane peak. Even if you've dried it for a long time, even if you stuck it in the fume hood for a long time and just tried to evaporate it off because it likes to evaporate at room temperature, you have to be very thorough. Mm -hmm. And so you could imagine a company who's trying to cut corners. Right. I'll save just some money. That. Yeah, <laughs> wanted to save some money. Right. Uh, but, you know, well, hexane may be toxic. I bet these seed oils would taste a lot better if they were extracted using North Arrow coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> That's not scientific at all, but I don't care. Uh, North Arrow <laughs> coffee is delicious. It's five-star microwavable and pro-life. They donate 15% of all of their proceeds to pro-life charities. It's single origin and roast to order. So treat yourself to some delicious coffee and save some babies by using code QUIRKS10 to get 10% off your order. Yay. Yay. Cheers. Cheers. 
I see over in Rumble chat, <laughs> Rena Rob is bringing in some uh, specific heat capacity information. In all cases, there is heating, pressing creates friction, friction generates heat. That's true, right? We mentioned that earlier, but the heating has to be below a certain temperature for cold pressing. And remember that temperature threshold was 120 degrees Fahrenheit. As long as it's below that temperature, it is still considered cold pressed. It's not intentionally preheated before being extracted. Whereas in direct heat pressing, it is intentionally roasted before extraction. Right. right. So, and of course, the follow-up steps. The first one we talked about is the extraction using hexane. They then followed up using heat, steam, and pressure to remove the remaining hexane, theoretically. And then it goes through the refining process. And then, again, this is where people have their concerns, which I think are valid. It's valid to be concerned. And the first step in refining is called degumming. It's also referred to as acid refining. Basically, this is a process that uses acids to remove anything that is considered a phosphatide, basically any molecule that contains phosphorus. And phosphorus-containing molecules are emulsifiers, which is why fats are often so good for making soaps. Mm -hmm. um, this, that's why you see a lot of seed oils like in shea butter and things like that you use for bathing, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if that you remove sense. those phosphatides, they're not good for that anymore, which is why they're better for eating after that. Um, and they can also interfere with further refinement processes. But to do this, you have to intentionally add strong acids to the oil. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So now, now you've added a solvent, which we know is not super good. And now we've added an acid. So you have to make sure both of these things are perfectly removed before selling it. Uh, of course, you would imagine the next step is neutralization. So not you just put acid in, right? You just put acid in your oil. You have to neutralize it. And this removes other impurities like phospholipids, oxidized products, metal ions. There are some mm. natural metals that uh, appear in seeds. That's just like natural grow food. Yeah, yeah. natural. But all food. Yeah, all food. <laughs> all food. Uh, color pigments, other insoluble impurities like meal fines. Um, so the neutralization process I think of as kind of like a washing step. I'm just kind of cleaning it up. Uh, the next step is de deodorization. And this is another one where people get a little worried. It's because it's a steam distillation process that removes free fatty acids and volatile components uh, and that are usually presented in crude oil. And this process can sometimes lead to, instead of just having unsaturated fats, now you have trans fats in the oil. Right. And we've all heard how trans fats right. are like not super good. How everybody loves trans fats <laughs> or not <Yeah>. so much. <laughs> not so much. Not so uh, much. <laughs> I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the difference between cis and trans fats later, but just for context, trans fatty acids or TFAs are something I studied when I worked at the CDC. And nice. they're very clearly connected to heart disease because they can really layer up in your arteries and mm -hmm. clog them. So 
whether you agree with seed oils or don't agree with seed oils, trans fatty acids are pretty conclusively like very bad for your arteries. Um, and that's true if you're a mouse, if you're a human, <clears throat> if, if right. whatever you are, you know. I, I'm sorry. I'm laughing at Abby because she said trans fats are real fats. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bigots. <laughs> I know. It's a bigoted show. We're anti-trans fats. I feel like we've we've had a disclaimer about that somewhere or something. Probably. Probably. <laughs> Thanks for calling us out, Abby. <laughs> Sorry, this is a cis fats only. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We should not be allowed to have a platform. I know. <laughs> I love it. All right. So some other steps in the refinement process include bleaching. Winterizing in some cases and de-waxing. So I didn't go into all of those because like this is already super long. Um, <laughs> so I had to cut some things out. But you can look into those processes. As you can imagine, not super great. It's just quite the process just in general. Like, holy right. cow. <laughs> it's compared. Let, let's just do comparatively speaking to cold pressing. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm just going to use friction to force it out, maybe filter off any leftover organics, and now it's ready to go. Right. Two, let me heat it up. <laughs> <laughs> let me extract it with solvents. Oh, wait, now I got to remove the solvents. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to add some acid. Oh, wait, now I got to remove the acid. Now I'm going to bleach it, winterize it, de-wax Wait. Jeez. Wait. <sighs> Time out. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Oh, man. Oh yeah. man. And then and also like they probably can't use anything. You know, we have the cold pressing and you can use the stuff that's not um not good for the oil or the pulp right. or whatever. And then with the rest, I'm sure it's like this is all toxic that we've gotten rid of now. So Yes, now you've yeah. just filled up that pulp with solvent. Mm -hmm. So if you were to use it for animal feed, you would have to really make sure that solvent was gone from there. So now you've just wasted a solvent that, let me remind everybody, I use this solvent every day when I was in grad school. This is not a cheap solvent. This oh. is not like water you get out of your tap. This is expensive. Yeah. 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 Yikes. Yeah. Sorry. Just keep, I just... That one. Just, Keep going. <laughs> just some food for thought. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So now the claim made by these companies is that the oil is carefully processed to ensure the complete removal of all of the solvent before use. And, and I mean, it's like everything we just said. Mm -hmm. um, let, let's just compare the cost of these oils. Just, just for giggles. So here I have some standard canola oil we can get from Walmart. This is all heat pressed, right? Because it's not labeled virgin, cold press, anything like that. It's about $3.74 if I get, what is it? This 48 fluid ounce bottle. Okay. So this right. is for heat pressed oil. Cold pressed oil, uh, you really have to go digging. So I went to Amazon because Amazon has everything. <laughs> um. And for a much smaller bottle, it's $24 for cold pressed oil. Yep. I was going to say that too. Like all this process for the heat stuff and it's the cheapest. Make cheapest it make crop. sense. Yeah. It doesn't. 
is is the cost benefit of getting that much more oil right because they're getting closer to 90 percent extraction rate true as opposed to the 65 75 percent extraction rate we get for cold press is it really that much better cost wise yeah hmm it's sus it's just a tad <laughs> it's just a tad yeah. um so that is the first question i have for the seed oil industry if you will why <laughs> Mm-hmm. Why the why the cost difference? And I think it would benefit us to go in and break down what the chemicals are that compose these oils. But before we do that, I think it's time we said goodbye to YouTube. Peace, Peace out. out. Yeah. <laughs> we always say don't work for woke companies who hate you and your values, so we won't. Which is why we are taking our show over to Rumble and Odyssey. Audio listeners, of course, will still get the majority of this episode. But our goal over at Hawkhound is to make sure that we aren't making little compromises to grow our podcasts. So join us over on Rumble and Odyssey where we can speak a little bit more freely. And I'll drop the link in the chat for you guys. Any last thoughts before we say adios to YouTube? I definitely have some uh, more conspiratorial ideas on why that's cheaper. Ooh. <laughs> I'm here for it. Oh, yeah. So I'll Jace share Babe says, adios, YouTube, you trans fat. So we'll leave you with that. <laughs> and on that note, peace out. There. All right, so I want to hear your conspiratorialness on the cost. Okay, so here's my thing, and it's kind of always been my thing with, like, food and big pharma and all that jazz. Like, it is a, yeah, it's a way to keep us, like, sick. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you're sick and you're tired and you're broke and all that jazz, like, how – hard is it for you to fight against what really matters when all you're trying to do is feel like yourself or feel normal and healthy. And when you are broke too, you're not going to go out and spend $24 on cold pressed canola oil. You're going to go to Walmart and get the $3.50 canola oil because you got to feed your family right. decisions on bills to pay. And I don't know, I, for me, and especially like I love nutrition and learning about it, but you can definitely take it like down some very rabbit trails so that's like my whole thing is yeah you can continue to keep us sick and unhealthy and and just like trying to be normal while y'all are doing your Mm. lady stuff we won't notice (laughs) because we're too sick and tired to notice that's That's a good point that's my whole spiel there you go How interesting. And we'll see if that kind of corroborates as we talk about the chemical composition of our rapeseed or canola oil. All right. So the first little part of our oil is called uh, arucic acid. Also, also, let me give you the proper chemistry name. It is also known as cis-13 docosinoic acid. Not going to say that again. It's arucic acid. (laughs) It's easier to say. At it one time. That's it. Yep. That's it. That's all you got. (laughs) 
And I'm not even going to try and count all of the carbons that are in this molecule. It's a long stringy thing that has a carboxylic acid at the end because it's an acid. Yay. Because it's an acid. <laughs> um, so this is considered a monounsaturated omega-9 fatty acid. Um, and before we talk about its effects, I do want to talk about the difference between saturated and unsaturated fatty acids, just as like a refresher or if you guys don't know what that is. Um, so here's just kind of a diagram that I think helps. A saturated fatty acid is basically an acid where all of the carbons are filled with all of their hydrogens. So there is one or there's two hydrogens for every single carbon except for the trailing carbon, which has three. And then there's your acid carbon, which is part of the carboxylic acid. An unsaturated fatty acid has this double bond. So here you'll have at least two carbons that have only one hydrogen. Okay. And instead of it being a nice linear chain, you get sort of this kink, like this bend. And it's forced to adopt this different orientation because it, it can't crowd each other. So it, it behaves chemically different. And just mm -hmm. so you guys know, this unsaturated double bond is not stable. And the more double bonds you have, the less stable it is. Just kind of put a pin in that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hold on to that thought. Yeah. Hold on to that thought. <laughs> um, saturated fatty acids, like we said, have more hydrogens. And actually, you guys have probably all seen a graphic like this before, right? As saturated fat are in things like meats and butters and dairy products, whereas the unsaturated fats are vegetable oils. Uh, saturated fats are solid at room temperature. Again, remember, because they can stack just like the trans fatty acids can stack in your arteries. Unsaturated fatty acids are liquid at room temperature because they have that kink. Uh, saturated fatty acids um, have an increased level of bad cholesterol. That's that LDL cholesterol, so put that low density one that's supposedly really bad for you. And then unsaturated fatty acids supposedly increase levels of that good cholesterol, HDL, high density. Um, and so this is the graphic we're always shown like in school or in health class. It's like saturated fat, bad, unsaturated fat, good. Right. Yes. Doesn't feel like propaganda at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> uh, and we can have variations on those fats, like I mentioned earlier, which is cis and trans. And I'm not talking about politically charged. Chemistry had it first. <laughs> right, Chemistry right. talked about cis and trans first, not politics. Uh, to be yeah. cis means your functional groups are on the same side of the double bond. And to be trans means that your functional groups are on opposite sides of the double bond. They, like you said, science had it first. <laughs> science had it Follow first. the science. <laughs> That's right. Follow the science. <laughs> but you can see here, right, uh, for the cis fatty acids, there's that kink, right? So it forces it to be far apart. So they can't stack up. Whereas the trans fats, okay, now we're linear. I could set another row and another row. And you see it stacks up and how that can stack up mm -hmm. on your series. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so just kind of keep both of those things in mind when you think about um, fatty acids. 
And just to kind of remind ourselves why this is called um, canola oil instead of rapeseed oil, it actually comes from the phrase Canadian low oil, low acid, canola oil. <laughs> they rebranded it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which nice. canola oil sounds way better than rapeseed oil. Yeah. Virgin rapeseed oil. Right. Again, no marketing, sound. marketing, marketing. It's all <laughs> marketing. Sounds way, way better. Ugh. Okay. So that that's all precursors. So let's get back to arucic acid. Um, this is one of those ones that's really toxic when it's in high concentrations. It, it can be... It, remember I said it's this monounsaturated fatty acid and it's not very stable. So it breaks down pretty easily and it can turn into a trans fatty acid really easily. And I mean, I mean, it's just not good for us. It, uh, cis trans or not arucic acid is just, it's really bad for you. At, I think at like 5% concentration, it's like extremely toxic. Oh, so geez. they went through this process of selective breeding to get the canola plant that we use today. So instead of having the rapeseed plant, right, which has these this very high concentration, like 20 to 54% arucic acid, like that's a lot, <laughs> to yeah. like less than 2%. So that that is way, way better for human consumption. All right. Way, way better. Much, much um, better. And people will hear me say that and they'll be like, wait, is canola oil a GMO? <laughs> yes, technically, but it's a GMO or a genetically modified organism through selective breeding. It's not like they took the plant into the lab and put it in a, in a Petri dish and they were <laughs> like, let me mess around with its genetic code like a big evil scientist. Uh, see... GMO, just like when you say solvent or chemical, mm. <laughs> like it gets such a bad rap because everybody like instantly, um, yeah, they just take it to this really bad place. And it's like, right. it's not always bad. It's not always bad. Like we have been genetically modifying things for a very long time and you wouldn't have a lot of good things without it. So you wouldn't have corn. Without- you wouldn't have corn. It'd be maize. It'd be maize. And you can't, you can't eat, eat that. No. <laughs> exactly. Yes. That's like my always my go-to. Like, mm-hmm. how do you think we got corn? Come on. Anyway. Come on, people. I you know, it might be fun for us to do an episode on GMOs because that's another yes. one that is super controversial. And I feel like people don't I hate to say don't understand it, but honestly, the public educational system has not given us the tools. No, agreed. Agreed. And there's so much marketing around it. It's like GMO free, non-GMO. It's like we have to be clear on what type of GMO we're talking about. It's like the label organic. I hate that label. Yeah, doesn't mean yes, anything. Yes. yes, yes, agreed. Oh, I agree. Yes, we do because and like I grew up farming, and you do learn all these things because it is um, one such a hot topic 
in general when you're producing food and and things for for folks and you learn about it so quickly and you're just like y'all don't know you have no right. idea and uh again it just it's a trigger word and it's like it's not exactly what you think it is it's really not not as bad not as great as you think or you know right anyway yeah there's yeah. a whole nother <laughs> we just found another episode guys. we just got another one putting it on the list there we go yep perfect <laughs> um so to just kind of sum up, in 2003, the Provisional Tolerable Daily Intake, or PTDI, for an average adult of arucic acid is about 500 milligrams per day. And this data is based on the level that is associated with myocardial lipidosis in nursing pigs. Uh, myocardial lipidosis is basically fat buildup uh, around your heart. And that's basically what arucic acid can cause. So like I said it earlier, not super great thing for you to eat, but the the canola oil we eat now doesn't have as much arucic acid. It has about 2% or so claimed. So you would have to eat 25 grams, not milligrams, but grams of canola oil to get even close to that PTDI. For Just for comparison, you'd have to drink close to the whole bottle <laughs> of canola oil to get that close. I don't see anybody sitting there. Oh, don't, don't start this as a right. challenge. This, no, do not do this though. Just chugging it. TikTok challenge. No. <laughs> Started right here. Dang it. I shouldn't anything. I'm just going to be some. If no. you do it, you get a t-shirt. No. Don't tell the kids that. Just kidding. No, you don't. Okay, I didn't say it was to, one of ours. You go to the hospital. That's what yeah, you get. <laughs> that's what you get. Free trip like to the hospital. Tide pods. <sighs> yeah. Yep. Goodness. Anyway, I'm sorry. So, yeah, nobody is sitting at home. Nobody. Nobody. Is sitting at home drinking a full thing of canola oil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Base babe over on Rumble. Ooh, a t-shirt. No. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't say it would be one of our t-shirts. I just said a t-shirt. I'm I going to Goodwill and getting you the, the crappiest. I drank a whole bottle of canola yeah. oil. There you go. Okay. <sighs> so, arucic acid is not the only component of canola oil or rapeseed oil. It certainly isn't now since it's only like 2% of canola oil. Right. So, what else is in there? Oleic acid is another oil. So, here's another long. It's just another long chain fatty acid it's a monounsaturated fatty acid right we know because it only has one double bond so there's a picture of that mm -hmm. this is actually the most common natural fatty acid um but it doesn't actually appear as just that single chain it actually appears as an ester triglyceride which basically means three of them are kind of like bundled together chemically gotcha and like I said, it's supernatural. It's found in oils, vegetables, animal fats. Uh, it's it's like in every single thing you eat. So you can't avoid it. And that probably means it's pretty okay for us, right? It's, right. They're the primary component of olive oil. It's like 70% of this makes up our olive oil. Oh, so very, very safe oleic mm -hmm. acid. What is the not safe part? of oleic acid is when it's a free fatty acid. So instead of being the three fatty acid bundle, I get single ones kind of branching off. Gotcha. And so all of the resources that I found, and guys, I did some crazy digging. If you guys <laughs> get curious and you're like, how does she know all this? I have attached <laughs> show notes 
to the bottom of the Rumble description. So if you would like to go through all of the links, help yourself. Help yourself. <laughs> your citation page for your thesis paper, right there. Seriously, though. <laughs> um, um, so how do they separate if they're naturally three bundled together? I, you might have been getting to that, but yeah. So it's through a process called hydrolysis. This was something I would actually have to do when I was studying trans fatty acids. I would have to do in the lab, I would have to add an acid and do three extractions to get isolated free fatty acids. Um, and let me back up a little bit and, yeah. and give more background before we get yeah. into how this might happen naturally. So again, we know oleic acid is the most abundant fatty acid in adipose tissue basically all of my little pudgy parts. Uh, we basically store this as fat. So when the oil reaches our gut, it performs that chemical reaction of hydrolysis by breaking it down into free fatty acids again. So once it's in our gut, it's, it's easier for our body to deal with. What is worse is that trans isomer that we were talking about, the one where it can stack up. And it has a different name because instead of being oleic acid, which is the cis isomer, remember when those <clears> functional <throat> groups are on opposite side are on the same side, elatic acid is when they're on opposite sides. And this very much increases HDL cholesterol, that high density lipoprotein. Um, so remember HDL is the good kind, good LDL is the bad kind. So the, the process in which it's converted from oleic acid into elatic acid is called elatization. And this can sometimes happen during the refining process of those heated oils. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Mm hmm. Hmm. One more chalked up to heated. <laughs> Maybe not so good. Yeah, maybe not super great. Yeah. And the reason they they do this is to prolong its shelf life. Hmm. Uh, and it's actually primarily found in things like those partially hydrogenated vegetable oils like margarine. Oh, right. Which I thought was kind of surprising. Hmm. But it makes sense because if you think those those kinked ones, right, those bended ones are liquid at room temperature. But the right. trans fatty acids would have to be solid at room temperature because they can stack up. Mm -hmm. And margarine yeah. is, is solid at room temperature. Pretty solid. <laughs> Pretty solid. <laughs> so, some more things to think about. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Margarine. Margarine. Do you eat margarine? Mm -mm. Me either. I feel like it was always in my grandma's fridge when I was a kid. Yeah. It's we, like in uh, everyone's grandma's fridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I mean, I think my mom has used it for baking. Um mm. definitely. But it was like I just remember like it's so close to plastic or whatever. It feels like that <laughs> phrase. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh so my I'm gosh, like, yes. No. <laughs> it's so close to plastic. Yeah. Give me lard. No, just, right. <laughs> at least lard is natural. Right, exactly. Um, so the next component I want to talk about is linoleic acid. 
And this is our first polyunsaturated fatty acid, which I will call PUFAs because that's more fun to say. And this <laughs> is an omega-6 fatty acid. Which and is... We, all, we always hear those are good, right? Right. We always hear those are good. I thought. <laughs> I thought. So, so look at our, our little PUFA here. has two double bonds, right? And they're both cis. So our functional groups are on the same side. So it's super duper kinked. Um, and remember... What we said earlier about double bonds, the more you have, the less stable it is. Mm-hmm. No talk. bueno. No bueno. Unstable. Unstable. All right. So this is the most highly consumed PUFA found in the American diet. Uh, it's considered an essential fatty acid because we actually can't make it naturally. Right. So it's actually good to get a little bit of it because it's essential for the synthesis of various hormone, hormones. So the first hormone it's really good for are things like prostaglandins. Um, And so here's like a crazy picture of prostaglandin synthesis. Again, if you're listening, I'm very sorry. I wouldn't even begin to know how to go through this whole diagram verbally. (laughs) So we're not going to do it. So you need to come over to Rumble if you really want to see it. Uh, And here's the picture of a prostaglandin. I mean, it just looks like a a hormone molecule, right? It's got the, the pentane ring and a bunch of, hydroxyl groups, a carboxylic acid group, and a ketone. It's a molecule. Right. Cool. She asks if it looks like a hormone. And I'm like, yeah. No, I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah, sure. That's what they look like. (laughs) That's what they look like. (laughs) That's what hormones look like uh, on the chemical level. On the physical level, it looks like me crying all day. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Or just rage for no reason. That's- or rage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's what a hormone looks like. That's how I've always seen them. But the- same. <laughs> Base babe on Rumble says mood in all caps. <laughs> Hashtag mood. True. Okay. So prostaglandins are essential for repairing tissues and injuries that are responsible for blood clot formation. So super duper important. Uh, another hormone that they're used for is called a thro- thromboxane. This is yes. a substance produced by platelets, and it's basically designed to reduce blood loss and also participates in blood clotting. So, like, if you get an open wound, it's the thing that's clogging it all up. <laughs> right, right. Um, however, because it's the thing that causes blood to clot, it's also been implicated in many cardiovascular conditions like heart attack or stroke. That makes sense. So it could go the other way and right. not be so good. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we've got our leukotrienes. I forgot to pull up a picture of a leukotriene, but it's another hormone. It's a lipid mediator that plays a role in acute and chronic inflammation and allergic diseases. So basically they're lipid signalers that are used to convey information from like one cell to neighboring cells to regulate immune responses. So like if you're having an asthma attack, right? It's like telling all the cells, hey, we're having an asthma attack. <laughs> Do something about it. Do something. Thank you, Leukotrienes. Yay. <laughs> They're the ones like up in your brain that are hitting all the buttons. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's like takes a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, canola or rapeseed oil has about 21% linoleic acid, right? Which is the acid that is making all of these things do a thing. 
And we'll we'll get to the consequences of overconsumption a little bit later, but just recognize that linoleic acid causes these hormones to do things. Like the crying and <laughs> No, just well, so it's not those particular hormones, right? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> no. the blood clotting hormones yes. and that ah, I'm having an Over, asthma attack. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's our food. You're still overreacting. Facts. <laughs> your cells are still overreacting. You might not be overreacting, right. but your cells are. <laughs> All right. So our second PUFA is alpha linoleic acid. Here's another one. And instead of two double bonds, we have one, two, three. Remember, the more double bonds you have, the less stable. Less stable. All right. Um, and this is actually an omega-3 fatty acid. It's also referred to as ALA. I'm sure some folks have heard that before. Mm -hmm. Supposedly... Omega-3 fatty acids are, like, really good for you, right? They tell you to eat lots of fish because it's high in omega-3 fatty acids. Right, right. Right. <clears throat> um, so ALA is thought to de decrease the risk of heart disease by helping it to maintain a normal heart rhythm and pumping. It might also reduce blood clots. It's basically another one of these fatty acids that are used for hormone regulation. Isn't it weird that there are a lot of hormone controllers mm. in our oils? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's weird. Weird. Um, what could be behind it? it it's weird. Hmm. So so I, I keep mentioning the fact that these double bonds are unstable, and I think it's important, right? Because remember, with that decreasing saturation, we also did get a decrease in stability. And the reason there are such, such strict regulations on how to store pure omega-3 fatty acids is because of these three double bonds. ALA will go rancid at 225 degrees Fahrenheit, which is just above the boiling point of water. Yeah. Okay. For comparison, to fry chicken, you have to heat it to 325 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh. Oh, snap. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Mm-hmm. So at least 10% of canola oil will break down rancid due to this heating process. Ew. <laughs> Ew, yeah. That's, that's my very helpful response there. Ew. <laughs> I mean, fair. <laughs> yeah. Is um, that the secret to Colonel Sanders? Is that like... <laughs> is that why it tastes good? Because of the rancid canola oil? Just... <laughs> he made it more rancid. And that's his secret. That's a secret. Ugh. I'm sitting over here thinking about Chick-fil-A because that, that, that's where I get my Jesus chicken. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like it. Oh, I still want fried chicken. I know, anyway. right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not here saying no, don't eat fried chicken. We haven't even gotten through the whole thing yet. These are just right. things I want you to consider when we consider oils. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so... Let's talk about the next thing that is in these acids, and that's palmitic acid. Let me pull up a little, little tiny picture of palmitic acid. It got too tiny. <laughs> All right, and this is our first saturated fatty acid. 
So we've been primarily talking about unsaturated fatty acids, but this is a saturated one. So right, it's our nice little long chain, no double bonds whatsoever, and our carboxylic acid. Very stable. Very stable. Uh, it's the first fatty acid produced during fatty acid synthesis and is the precursor to longer fatty acids. And as a consequence, palmitic acid is a major body component of animals. So for comparison, about 4% composition in rapeseed oil and 26% composition of butter. Hmm. So uh, because it's inexpensive and adds that texture or mouthfeel to processed foods, mm -hmm. palmitic acid and its sodium salt are found in lots of processed foods. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you're surprised. I, no. while I was looking into this, I found this really interesting side note that I just have to mention because I think it's interesting. Um, so aluminum salts of palmitic acid and nephilic acid uh, were the gelling agents that were used with volatile petrochemicals during World War II to produce napalm. Oh. That's where we get the name napalm from nephilic acid and palmitic acid. Whoa. Now, now I'm not saying this to like scare anyone because obviously like your butter's not napalm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it just shows you the versatility of how chemical <laughs> compounds can be changed because right. Napalm is two different acids in an aluminum salt. Right. I just think it's cool that you can use chemicals for so many different things. They're so Especially, versatile. They are. Yeah. Especially after they've gone different chemical changes. And I think it also goes to show you that chemical changes are important because yeah. it can radically change their use. It can radically change your world. <laughs> <laughs> it can go from being butter yeah. to napalm. Oh my gosh. And yeah. there's something to talk about around the dinner table next time. <laughs> there you go. Look at this butter. Guess what it could have been. I'm going to microwave <laughs> my buttered popcorn. <laughs> I like little napalms going off yeah, in the napalm. popcorn bag. <laughs> All right. So it's well accepted in the medical community that palmitic acid from dietary sources raises that LDL, right? That bad cholesterol. And the WHO suggests that it's linked to cardiovascular disease. But can we really trust the who? I mean. I lost I a little faith, but that's just me. That's just me. <laughs> that's just me. All right. So just to kind of plug on through the last couple of things that are in oils, we've got some unsaponifiable materials. And these are basically things that you could never use to make a soap. Um, remember, a lot of these oils are also used in soaps, which right. is where we get that term. Uh, there are the tocopherols. Here's a picture of those. Again, it, it's a molecule. It's a class of organic compounds uh, comprising various methylated phenols, which have vitamin E activity. So it's an important source of vitamin E. It's a fat-soluble antioxidant, which may help protect cell membranes from reactive oxygen species. So those are pretty cool. Hmm, pretty awesome. Um, we've got our sterols and our uh, phytosterols. The term phytosterol is used to describe plant sterols and their saturated derivative plant stanols. Basically, they're phytosteroids, which are similar to cholesterol that serve as structural components for biological membranes of plants. And so the intake of naturally occurring phytosterols ranges from like 
200 to 300 milligrams a day, depending on your eating habits. Nice. And I mean, it exists in plants regardless of processing. So it's, it's inescapable. And the process of uh, margining, right, which causes margarine to have these phytosterols in it, <coughs> it plays a role in lowering that LDL, right, lowering that bad cholesterol. So kind yeah. of interesting, too. Yeah. Um, and then our last one is a polyphenol. Polyphenols are these crazy little, well, I say little, they're actually kind of hmm. like huge. This crazy cycle ring thing with like Ooh. lots of hexane rings. Um, rapeseed has the highest phenolic content compared to other oil seeds, uh, about tenfold, comparatively speaking. So that's a yeah. lot of phenolics. Wow. <laughs> there's a lot of, yeah, there's yeah. a lot going on right there. <coughs> yeah, it's a lot. So high doses of polyphenols have shown to have like carcinogenic and genotoxic effects that can interfere with thyroid hormone biosynthesis. Um, isoflavonones, the ketone version of the phenols, have demonstrated both beneficial and detrimental estrogenic activity basically it can mess around with your hormones and it can interfere with iron absorption which can lead to iron depletion so yeah so really good <laughs> so good so good not, so not, good. not really not so much and comparative like compared to soybean and sunflower oil canola has like 10 times the amount of polyphenols Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So that is a lot. And I guess, yeah, compared to others, which I'm sure you're, you're going to take it here, but canola, like you said, more than that, but all those kind of terrible things, does canola just generally, in general, have more right. of the bad than others? Canola does seem to have a lot more of the weird things than others do. Gotcha. And so, and I think that's why canola oil was so controversial as I went through and I was researching it. Um, because I had spent so much of my focus on canola oil, I wanted to make sure I gave credence to the other oils. So I made this beautiful table for you guys. Gorgeous. That compared all of, I, I shouldn't say all of, because <laughs> this doesn't cover all of them. I, th I would say it covers some of the most popular ones. Mm -hmm. And I have butter and ghee as just like kind of standards to compare it to because they're more natural. Right. Um, and if you guys are interested in this, I can definitely post this on our Twitter. So like all on Instagram. Um, especially for you audio listeners who don't get to see all of the numbers and processing techniques. I would like to put, point out just how many are typically heat pressed. Let's yeah. see, we've got safflower, safflower, canola, peanut, soybean, and flaxseed are all typically heat pressed. Whereas mm. avocado, olive oil uh, are typically cold pressed, which is why we hear so many good things about avocado oil. Yeah. Right, because it is typically cold press. And it has a very high smoke point. I was just going to say that. Yeah. That's yeah. good for me when I'm cooking. <laughs> yeah. Same. 
<laughs> it's very helpful. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so just kind of like a quick note, these are all generic temperatures for these oils. Uh, this doesn't account for like particular rancidity points for individual fats that might be in the oil. Um, I did include like the level of PUFAs, those polyunsaturated fatty acids versus MUFAs, monounsaturated fatty acids versus just saturated fatty acids. So you can very, very clearly see the ratio of the different components in each oil. Like butter isn't free of PUFAs, right? Butter still has it, but -hmm. it does have a lot of that saturated fat, which again, we know stacks up in our arteries. Right. But like olive oil is kind of like in this neat middle range, right? It, It does have some MUFAs, has very low PUFAs and very low saturated fats. So it, I think comparatively speaking, it's a little bit better compared to most of these. And I think avocado oil would also fall in this range. I especially like avocado oil because it has such a high smoke yeah. point. Yes. It's really hard to get to that breakdown temperature. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm cooking with good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do want to point out, for people to be like really careful with peanut oil because if the quality control is neglected in any way, peanuts that contain a mold that produces a uh, highly toxic aflatoxin can contaminate the oil that is derived from the peanut. And children are particularly affected by aflatoxin exposure, which is associated with stunted growth, delayed development, liver damage, and liver cancer. Oh, wow. <sighs> yeah. That's a risk. You probably don't want to take (laughs) well so here's the ironic part ironically i hate saying this chick-fil-a uses peanut oil to prepare their most delicious deep fried jesus chicken dang it no it is really good for it is really good for frying though (laughs) it is so good for frying yes since there hasn't been widespread disease from chick-fil-a i'm gonna assume it's safe like they're okay. getting high quality. They're getting some high quality peanut oil. Right, I, right. I'm not here to bash Jesus chicken. Okay, guys, get the <laughs> F's out of the chat. All right. <laughs> get the F's out of the chat. <laughs> <laughs> but most most places use vegetable oil of some kind. I, I just uh-huh. wanted to give you that information about peanut oil. Because here here's been my goal all night. I just want to give you the information. I'm giving you everything that I could find. And then when we get to the end, you guys have to decide for yourselves. Free will and all that jazz, I guess. Yeah, free will and all that. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Weird like that, huh? Weird. Weird. All right. So we've talked about the composition quite a lot. And let's talk about regulation. Because I think that's pretty important, right? Yes. (laughs) So unfortunately... There is no regulation ensuring that unrefined oils are, in fact, unrefined. The one exception is olive oil. Uh, In the the EU, the designation of cold and press are regulated for olive oil. But outside the EU, the regulation for these terms pertaining to olive oil don't apply. And remember, (laughs) that cold pressing is what we care about because that's the one that doesn't go through that refining process, that one that uses all of the hexanes and the acids and the deodorizers, right? No deodorant in your olive oil. Right. So consumers really have no assurance that these statements are true. And that sucks. And that's that's another thing about all of this that gets me is 
when they market this stuff to you, yeah, when it's not regulated well like that, they can pretty much say whatever they want. And they you're can. just like, oh, I know that that's good. So I, you know, it's like, okay, they, just because they said it doesn't mean doesn't mean that's what you're getting, unfortunately. This is my problem yeah. with the label organic. I mean, you yes. know this, right? Yes. It's like anybody can claim that it's organic. Yes. And yes. mark up the price. Yes. You wonder if that's probably being done with cold pressing. Hmm. Mm. Hmm. Makes you think, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. I don't know why it gets me so fired up, but it's just. Uh, no, gets I me so fired that. up. <laughs> Rena Rob asks a really good question. Then why is there an FDA? Why is there a Food and Drug Administration? I would like to know the same thing. <laughs> In fact, we don't know. <laughs> FDA, what are you doing? What is your life? What is your purpose? What do you do all day? What do you do all day? Uh, They're just. They're just there. They're they're just sitting in their offices. Sit, sit in We're their the office FDA. and play on Twitter all day. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and it's like that with multivitamin or with not multivitamins, any vitamins too. Yeah. Most, if not like all, are not FDA regulated by the FDA. Right. And so you think you're taking this thing, this supplement that's going to help you, and it's like you really have no idea. You re- I mean, you really What's in there? don't. You really don't. Because unfortunately, they can. it can pretty much just be whatever they t- – they can tell you whatever they want. Yeah. And you're just going to take your little vitamin and hope for the best. Yeah, I'll go off on a bunch of tangents here. but <laughs> I love what Facebook <laughs> <laughs> FDA is just an acronym for effing dumbasses. <laughs> oh, I love it. I like it too. I, I feel like, like I need that on a sticker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if I could <laughs> offer any advice to help with it. So if you really want to be careful that you look for, then I would look for olive oil with a free fatty acid level of like 0.2% or lower and peroxide levels like below 10, uh, what is it? Milliq per gram per kilogram so you can look for certification seals and i think this does help on the oil so here's one where you can see it's very clearly designated you've got this little well that's the gmo one um these little seals here that can show that it's protected designation of origin protected geographical identification like somebody to say hey we actually looked into it. It's fine. Um, or you, you at least hope, right? Right. Right. It's legit. We, we swear. It's <laughs> legit. We swear. This is really helpful for folks who live in the EU because there's so much regulation there. Right. Right. But what do we got here? Yeah. Yeah. A joke. That's what we have. <laughs> and I mean, olive oil is the most heavily regulated out of all of the oils. Mm-hmm. But what about the ones we're actually concerned about? The seed oils. Right. Right. Mm. So it, you want to take the regulation into consideration. And I think the next big thing we should talk about is overconsumption. And so I'm going to pull this up. Guys, I, I went and did some real hashtag journalisming. I actually yeah. went to the grocery store. 
um, and just and just did a walkthrough and took some videos of like some of the things I saw and found while I was there. Uh, and just like looking at the nutrition level speak or labels, because do do you ever do that? Do you ever just like look at the grocery store and it's like, yeah, I'm going to look at the nutrition label of this instant dinner I'm going to have. I mean, I don't, I should. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like I should too. Yep. Ignorance <laughs> is bliss sometimes too. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think the real problem may not be with the seed oil itself, but the level of consumption. Just for comparison, 73% of the American diet consists of ultra-processed foods. Yeah. 73. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's no good. That's no good. That's no bueno. Uh-uh. All right. So I went through... Boy, that went really fast. What do we got here? <laughs> so I, I got these like little diet bars. Look what's in it. Canola oil. Mm-hmm. Pretty standard diet bars. Got some kind bars. More canola oil. Some cereal. Canola oil. Duh. Bread. Oh, Healthy yeah. bread. Vegetable oil. Coffee mm-hmm. creamer. Favorite coffee creamer. No. There, you got your vegetable oil, high linoleic <laughs> acid, soybean, or high linoleic canola oil. So it's high in some of these acids. Uh, uh, I love these little balance breaks for like snacks. Yeah. Yep. No. You got your you got your peanut, sunflower seed, canola, and safflower oil. Why? You got some Ritz. <laughs> Who doesn't love some Ritz? Yeah. Canola oil. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Some Progresso soup. Soybean oil. How about some uh. Chef Boyardee? The no. Lunch of Champions. <laughs> Soybean oil. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's bad, guys. Yeah. All right. It's How about so some of those super healthy foods like the the vegans and the vegetarians eat? So here's some like uh, the plant based chicken nuggets, yeah. right? Right. Vegetable oil. Yeah. Of course. Oh yeah. How about some of those power up bowls that the vegetarians like to eat? <laughs> Canola oil. How about some just like chicken tenders? Soybean oil. No. <laughs> <laughs> How about uh, some ravioli? No. <laughs> Turmeric oil. Oh. Turmeric. Okay. I love kettle chips. I love me some Aww, kettle chips. Me too. Sunflower and sunflower <laughs> oil. Guys, it's in everything that we eat. Yeah. I mean, you can't escape it. So I can see where people would be worried about it. So let's talk 
about the health implications. If it's going to be in every single thing that we eat, we should probably know the arguments for what it does to us, right? We Mm -hmm. talked about the breakdown of all of the chemicals. Does it actually have the impact we would expect there to be? All right. The first argument is inflammation, all right? This is the thing a lot of people are worried about. Just very generally speaking, inflammation is the body's immune system responding to an irritant. Mm Mm-hmm. So the claim is that certain foods, in this particular case, seed oils, can alter the bacteria that live in our gut, and that alteration has the ability to interact with our immune system and trigger it in a way that leads to chronic inflammation. So why does this claim even exist? Well, remember, a key component of seed oils are those omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, right? The PUFAs, the ALA and linoleic acid that we have already talked about. And these PUFAs are metabolized by the same set of desaturation, elongation, and oxygenation enzymes in our body, right? That basically means our bodies process these PUFAs in similar ways. And so after the PUFAs are oxidatively metabolized, they're turned into lipid mediators, which means they impact hormonal function, right? We talked about the hormones that they impact. And remember, hormones are these things that have to be tightly, tightly regulated, right? I mean, we've seen what's happened with the transgender movement. Let's take estrogen, for example. If a woman is low on estrogen, she may have low moods or depression. Hashtag me all the time. (laughs) Hashtag me too. When estrogen levels fluctuate like they do during menopause, you might get like hot, hot flashes and weight gain. Elevated levels of estrogen in women have been linked to conditions like polyps, fibroids, PCOS, endometriosis, like lots of bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it has to be tight in, in balance, right where right. it should be, or you can have really bad things on either right. either end. Yeah. And, and like that's for women. Same thing is true for right. men, right? Yep. Too low testosterone can mean muscle loss or mm-hmm. low bone density. Too high testosterone can lead to aggressive, irritable, irritable behavior, acne. Rage. Sl- <laughs> rage. Sleep <laughs> acne of all things. Oh, wow. Yeah. Didn't know that. So, like, these things have to be p- perfect. Okay? All right. So, at low, do- at low doses, these PUFAs can provide valuable hormonal function. No question about it. Right. We know that because people tell us to take them all the time. We already know that they're essential. Our body can't make them. We need them for hormone production. Right. Right. And so except for one PUFA called DGLA, high levels of omega-6 PUFA-derived lipid mediators can enhance inflammation, platelet aggregation, and blood pressure. Right. It can basically make it worse. So those are the claims, all right? Mm-hmm. And remember, one of the problems is that we're using these oils for cooking. So 80 to 75 or 70 to 85% of omega-3 fatty acids will break down into their constituent parts during heating. Right? Those PUFAs have low smoke points. They don't make up the whole part of the seed oil, but they make up enough for it to be worrisome. Right. Yeah. That's the claim. 
Then, I mean, I dug deep, guys. I wanted to make sure that I knew what I was talking about. I did some in-depth research. I went to articles. I went to videos. I went to lectures to find as much as I could because I knew this claim was controversial, right? I wanted to make sure that I was giving you guys the unhindered truth. All right. So let's look at a few studies together. All right. So this first one is the effects of flaxseed on the inflammatory markers, right? To see if flaxseed actually does, flaxseed oil does in fact cause an increase in inflammation. <clears throat> Overall flaxseed interventions had no effect on this inflammation marker. Okay, flaxseed oil, just taking that cold flaxseed oil as a supplement had no effect on inflammation. Not good, not bad, not otherwise. Nothing. I saw I saw quite a few like that for flaxseed. It's interesting that flaxseed is one of the ones they were like really worried about too, because it has a lot, a lot of the polyunsaturated fatty acids. Right. Here's like that. One. Yeah, go, ahead. go ahead. No, just that was kind of low on that was one of those on your list, wasn't it? It was like Yeah. It was yeah. like at the bottom because it had yeah. the most poofas. Right. Right. So, so that would make it the most unstable. You were you would think. Right. You would okay. Think. If if it's gonna have a negative effect because it has all of these double bonds, it would be the flaxseed because it has the most poofas. Right. No effect at all. Wouldn't expect that. Right? Yeah. Not at all. So I was like, okay, that's that's one study. Let me find let me find one for patients who have a metabolic syndrome for inflammation. Mm. Okay, so that's what this article is. And if you go down, you look at the results. Flaxseed oil supplementation did not affect other biomarkers of inflammation or oxidative stress. No effect. Wait a minute. This is not what people have been telling me. <laughs> right. Except, uh, okay. okay. Here's another one. Effects of flaxseed oil supplementation on plasma uh, adenopicidin levels in men. So, so basically in men who have a cholesterol imbalance. All right. Results. Plasma levels did not change after the dietary increase of ALA and flaxseed oil supplementation group. No effect. So still not good, not bad, nothing. Still not, n nothing. Yeah. Right. Crazy. All right, what about canola oil? Canola oil was the one we talked about all night, right? right. So here's one for canola oil. It, it's a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. Highly, highly, highly regulated. All right. Results. A non-significant decrease was observed so it actually improved <laughs> inflammation. Ah. <laughs> what? Wow. Crazy. Not what you'd expect. Not what you expect to see. Not what you would expect to see. Nope. How about sesame oil? All right. So the one for sesame oil, right? This is... Sesame oil and vitamin E co-administration may improve cardiometabolic 
risk factors in patients with metabolic syndrome. So they were worried about people who had metabolism problems. All right. Mm -hmm. No significant change in any of the study clinical or anthropometric data were found in group C. None. On sunflower oil. None. None. Nothing. Guys, when they did pure cold oils, right, just added to their food, they could find nothing to support the claims that it increased inflammation, that it had a negative health effect on inflammation. Wow. Wow. I found that odd. Mm-hmm. Especially with how much, like, problems are ginned up about it. Okay. Let, let's try. How does it compare to olive oil? Surely olive oil is better. Okay. Right. Right. I don't believe right. anything so anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a three-month double-blind randomized study comparing olive oil with soybean oil as a lipid emulsion, okay? So let's scroll down, look at the results. In conclusion, the plasma and lymphocyte EFA pattern remained in normal ranges with both emulsions. So neither olive oil nor soybean oil had any impact. That's insane. And so I sat down and thought, okay, these studies deal with dosage, right? It's a highly regulated study. So that means these people have to get a very specific amount every day. The normal person is probably consuming way more seed oils than they should, right? Mm-hmm. Like we said earlier, 73% of the American diet is processed. Right. So that must mean we're getting a crazy amount of seed oils in our diet. So I tried to see if I could find a study where they were taking lots of seed oils, right? So I found this one. All right. And for this study, all the volunteers were put on a diet of low PUFAs for a few weeks to level everybody out. And then they were split into two groups and took different oils for a month. One group got sunflower seed oil, one got olive oil, and one got canola oil. And they were not given small amounts. They were getting close to 500 calories a day solely from seed oils that there's no way you could consume that much naturally unless you were sitting there eating like 20 bags of Cheetos. Right, right, right. On a bad day. I mean, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) when I'm a little emotional, (laughs) but still, no, that is a lot, a lot, a lot. It's Yeah. So just for comparison, the ideal caloric intake a day for women is 2,000 calories and for men is 25,000 calories. Do I hit that target? No, but, you know, just just to give you the comparison, it's about like 20 to 25% of their daily calories from solely seed oils. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And then, yep, I probably still feel really hungry. <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Yep. (laughs) So what'd they find? Dun, dun, dun. Nothing. (laughs) I'm sure you're shocked by that. No. I mean, yes, but no. (laughs) Yeah, guys, seriously, if you don't believe me, the citations for all of these and more, like I'm not showing you every single article I read because we've already been here an hour and a half and I'm not even done. (laughs) Uh, But... You, you get you get the feel. Yeah. Wow. Where I'm going. Like that blew your mind too when you were looking this up, right? This legit blew my mind because after I 
I started out in the same process we've gone through yeah. this. I started out by breaking it down. And when you sit down and you look at all of the constituent parts, you're like, okay, something might be wrong here. I, it, the refining process feels wrong. The lack of regulation feels wrong. But then when you get down to the actual health effects on humans, just taking the oil not heated so far, zero effect. So what does it matter? <laughs> I still have some questions left. Yes. Okay. So what if instead of it just being a few months, but like years, mm. like long-term exposure. Right. All right. Not just the length of a short study, but a long-term study. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so here we got dietary intake and biomarkers of linoleic acid and mortality. So this was a huge, huge review um, for a long time. This was, to be fair, this was from people who self-report to eat diets high in polyunsaturated fatty acids in their everyday lives. Uh, and again, they saw no effect. And the question could be, okay, what if the participants are lying? Right. Um, here's <clears throat> another one where they took it for a long, long time. Uh, this, obviously, this is not a study I did, but it, this is one that was similar to the field that I was working in because they're studying these fatty acids and their impact on the body. Remember, this was stuff I was interested in while I was working at the CDC. I basically took blood plasma and analyzed it for trans fatty acid comment or content. And so, again, nothing. It doesn't matter how long they were taking it most of the data showed no impact. Nothing. Wow. Nothing. Now, to be fair, let's talk about acute effects. Okay. Let's say you, you eat a big meal, you eat it right away, and then they take your blood. Okay. Sure. Now we got something here. You get an immediate increase in those inflammatory markers after eating right away. So you can kind of see where they're coming from if you think about that instant trigger. Sure. And I guess, go ahead, keep go going. Ahead. I think I'm going to ask what you're going to say, so keep going. This is basically the same thing we see if you eat a big meal. Like if you sit down to Thanksgiving and you just pack it in. Right. You do get an instant inflammatory response because you just ate a lot. <laughs> right. Duh. <laughs> but chronically, yes. And by average, right? This is just from the studies I found. And guys, I I put a lot of citations down there. There are easily like 20 different articles I found that just showed nothing. Wow. For, and remember, these are cold oils, right? Oils I would like put on my salad, take in a tablet, things like that. Right. All right. And this has all so far been directed at inflammation. Mm -hmm. Inflammation is not the only concern, though. What about obesity? <coughs> All right. So this one is comparing the PUFAs on liver fat, proteins, inflammation, and obesity. So this is comparing both. So a total of 61 subjects completed the study. So that's a lot. Um, and they notice, in conclusion, compared with the SFA intake, 
the PUFAs reduced liver fat <laughs> and modestly improved metabolic status without weight loss. Does not cause inflammation or oxidative stress. Wow. Nope, 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 nope. All right. So you get the idea. Now I know someone's going to come at me. Well, we're worried about it. heated seed oils, right? Because surely, surely the heated ones will be it. This will be it. The PUFAs <laughs> are unstable, right? Right. Those are the ones, you know, they have the three double bonds. They've got to be bad and news, this right? They've got to be bad news. <laughs> and and just to be fair, it was really easy to find data on cold oils. It's it's easy to give a participant a tablet for them to take. Right. Right. For them to just swallow or some food to eat. Right. Right. It's a lot harder to have to like fry the food <laughs> that the participant's going to take. <laughs> Probably much more enjoyable for them. <laughs> Right. First, maybe. First of all, who are the people signing up for these trials? It makes you wonder if there's a particular type of person you get hmm. who would participate in a trial. So you wonder if that could influence it. You would think that the scientists would try and eliminate those possibilities. Yep. But you just wonder. Well, and it's not like, not that I've ever looked into this hard, but. Um, you don't see it everywhere. Like, hey, come try out this trial. We're doing test runs of this. Like, it's not something like, I don't right? I feel like it's not available to everyone. I mean, I could be wrong. How do, you, how do you find out? How do you find out? How do you get involved in this stuff? I don't know. Does your doctor tell you, hey, you should participate in this study. Right. You'd be ideal. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, that's always been a question of mine is like, they did this study and it's like, how do I do a study? Like be one of the test subjects. Right. I don't know that I want to be, but. Especially not in that one where they were getting like 500 calories oh. a day from seed oils. That no. would be awful. Be terrible. Who wanted to participate in that one? I don't know. And yeah, most of these, it's like, I don't really want to participate, but it's also, I don't know, just to add to that, like certain people and then where are they advertising this? Right. If at all. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> okay. So let's take a look at the heated seed oils. Um, here's the first one that I found. So this is the effects of plant oils with different fatty acid composition on cardiovascular risk factors and moderately hypocholesteremic Chinese adults, right? So basically they're dealing with high cholesterol. Gotcha. All right. And so they, they actually cooked the oil in this. Um, they used peanut and corn oil for cooking exclusively for one year. Hmm. No significant differences were observed in the concentration of fasting plasma for that inflammation marker. I'm done. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> uh, wow. All right. Here's the second one I found. All right. A randomized study of coconut oil versus sunflower oil on ca cardiovascular risk factors in patients with stable coronary heart disease. So these people already have heart disease. It's stable, but, you know, you'd be worried about them. They, they the study lasted for two years. All right. So their results, hundreds, 
patients in each arm completed two years with 98% follow-up. There was statistically no significant difference. <laughs> oh, my word. In cardiovascular events after two years. So Reno Rob says, I don't believe nothing they say from now on. And I'm like, I mean, I don't blame him. No, I, I don't either. <laughs> like, we're on the same wavelengths because me neither. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And you, and it's not like you're, you have looked at this from so many angles. Kudos so to many. you. I Guys, I just wanted to get this right. You know, I wanted to make sure that if it, if seed oils were the best for us, I wanted to know. If seed oils were the devil, I wanted to know. Yeah. But. We know nothing. Here's another one. I'm just kidding. We know nothing. <laughs> this is what it comes down to. Okay, this study is crazy. They prepared three meals a day for two months to make sure that the participants were strictly following the rules. They ate all kinds of fried food for all three meals, like pork and fried fish and stirred fried vegetables, like crazy. It was all cooked in soybean oil. I might have signed Arguably up for that. one of the worst. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. No significant change in inflammation. Ah. Ah. <laughs> okay, what, what about deep frying? This one was so much harder to answer, right? Because, like, we could get the sautéing and the light frying. It's like, okay, that doesn't take as much time. Right. But the deep frying one, they're just – people just haven't done enough work. And I think that's because – you know, it's, it's so new. Like the concern for it is so new. It was marketed to us as a healthy alternative for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, it, it's not like all of these articles said it was healthy. Right. It just said it had no effect. Right. Not good. Not bad. It's not helping you, but it's not hurting you. Right. Yeah. So, so let's see what the deep frying does. All right. So this one uses sunflower oil or sunflower seed oil deep fried for an hour, then stored it in a fridge until it was consumed, which I thought was kind of weird because I don't know about you. That's not how I eat fast food. No. I usually like scarf it down in like <laughs> two seconds as soon as I get it from the window. Exactly. But whatever. <laughs> it doesn't get very far uh, once it's yeah in my possession. Yeah. Yeah. So this one was a little bit harder to read because like you have to... The hardest part about doing this research is you have to pay for a lot of these articles. And I tried to find as many as I could for free. Yeah. This is the one thing that made me miss being in college. And I hate saying that. Um, but in college, you get free. Uh, free. You're paying tuition. You get access yep. to articles. Yep. All of the articles. I'm finding that, that on my side, too. Like, yeah. All those that I used to get for free. Right. Yeah. I feel like we could have a whole discussion about <laughs> knowledge gatekeeping <laughs> yes. in academia. Yes. Like it's terrible. Yes. Um, but oh, if God. you go through this one again, this particular uh, study was concerned with the rapid increases or instances of cancer in India. Um, so, or sorry, I'm looking at the wrong one. Um, Sorry, I lost my place. That's all good. 
yeah this this one was the acute study okay yeah because this is like they measured it as soon as people ate so you did see a little bit of increase again because they just just ate the food yeah they just ate yeah exactly so that doesn't help me okay so let's look at the the study from india Okay, here's the India study. The evaluation of the deleterious health effects of consumption of repeatedly heated vegetable oil. So it's not just heated once, Mm. right? They're basically recycling it. And this is something that happens a lot in developing nations, Mm -hmm. um, right? You have to conserve resources. So you're not just going to use that oil one time for frying. You're going to use it over and over and over and this is the one where we actually see the negative health effect. Uh-huh. This this is the cancer one that we see in the rats, right? This is the one that gave the rats cancer. Gotcha. So. so out of all of it, if you recycle your vegetable oil 20 times, it might give a rat cancer. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all we know. Like, I mean, and rat studies have always been fishy to me because it's like humans aren't rats. Humans process things differently. Right. Um, so there, there is some problems with the validity of animal testing. I've always thought that to be true. Yes. Uh, maybe we should do a whole episode about animal testing. So that might be really sad. I'm adding that on the list too. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, might be a little sad, but, but there's, there's a, I've always had trouble with that too. Like, Okay, but they're rats, like you said, or they're whatever, yeah. not not people. They're not people. But, um, how does that translate? How well does that translate when they do these studies? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I did find more that were like that. So if you repeatedly heat the oils, um, you do get things like cancer. Uh, there's a supposed link to Alzheimer's. Uh, so I included a link to an article for that one. Worse than memory. Uh, but again, this is for that really high heated, repeatedly heated oil. And I'll just put a caveat here. Any oil heated past its smoke point will chemically break down. Right. And all of these studies, none of the oils were heated past their smoke point because they all recognize it was an unsafe way to treat oil. So there is an expectation in the food industry Mm. that the behavior is the same. If you're going to heat an oil, you're not doing it past its smoke point. If I was to like serve you food, I wouldn't, you know, serve you a lump of hamburger that looked like a piece of coal, (laughs) right? You wouldn't pay me for that. You'd probably throw it in my face. (laughs) And the same in theory should be true for all of these restaurants that are serving you in theory, right? And all of these companies that make all of this processed food, in theory. In theory. Mm. In theory. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of trust to put in other people. Especially when you know things aren't as regulated as you would hope they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Ha. Ah, there it is. She found it. There it is. Nice. So... So, so let's bring it down to what I think the rub is. And I think the rub is addiction. Hmm. When we get right down to it, when we look at the all of these things I've showed you, it's like, well, if I just cut this one thing out of my diet, I'll feel better. My life will be perfect. I'll have the perfect body. I'll lose weight. But I don't know if it's about just eliminating, eliminating seed oils so much as it's about eliminating processed food 
Right. You're right. If you get rid of that crap out of your diet, you'll feel better because all of that stuff is junk. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <clears throat> and you know what it's full of that has been proven to be totally addictive and is present in large quantities in everything that we eat? Hmm. Freaking sugar. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it like considered cocaine in that? Yes. You know, that's that addictive. Yeah. If you guys remember me when I was doing the Real Truth Cactus uh, account on Twitter, I did a podcast with Small Stepper, and uh, he invited me on to talk about the effects of sugar and sugar addiction. And again, another thing we could do with quirks is talk about that. Yeah. Because that's a whole episode. That's a whole thing right there for sure. And it is. It's in literally everything. And it has proven addictive effects. Yes. Oh. Like undeniable. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Try try and cut it out of your diet. Right. You're gonna you're gonna crash. Yeah. You're gonna crash. Hard. Oh my gosh. Yeah. If you try and cut sugar out of your diet, you're gonna be in for a sad time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> for so many reasons. Uh, but yeah. For so many reasons. Yeah. Um But yeah, I feel like the seed oil craze is covering for all of the other things that are in our food that are so much worse. Yep. Like, 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 let's, let's take Doritos for an example. I love Doritos. Mm-hmm. Um, seed oils aren't the only thing that's in there. There's malodextrin, which is a type of carbohydrate that has got, undergone intense processing. It comes in the form of a white powder from rice, corn, and wheat. And it's makers first cook it, then add acids and enzymes to break it down some more. Then the final product is a water-soluble white powder that's supposed to be, like, really neutral in taste. And this powder is used as an additive in food to replace sugar and, like, improve its texture and shelf life. Mm-hmm. So it'll last forever. To last forever. Mm-hmm. The glycemic index of malodextrin is way higher than table sugar. So that means that this powder can cause a spike in your blood sugar shortly after eating foods that have it. Correct. (laughs) Not to mention they add regular table sugar to Doritos. And then there's sugar on top of that. Yes, exactly. So no wonder it's so delicious. (laughs) And it's got that delicious monosodium glutamate MSG mm-hmm. that everybody loves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Th- that flavor enhancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, if you guys don't know what MSG is, it's uh, in restaurant foods, canned vegetables, soups, deli meats. <clears throat> Actually, the one good thing the FDA <laughs> has done um, has kind of recognized that MSG may not necessarily be safe. Hmm. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe, Maybe not. not. Gosh. Oh, my word. Yeah, they'll just keep you coming back for more and more and more. Yeah. Um, more. What about natural and artificial? They always say natural and artificial flavors. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> so the FDA oh. defines natural flavors as chemical flavor compounds extracted directly from plants, animals, uh, or other products found in nature. But artificial flavors are those that are not extracted from nature, but rather reproduced in a lab. Mm-hmm. So it's pure chemical, just like pure chemical. Yep. 
Love that. Love it. That doesn't mess with you at all. Definitely not. Not at all. Um, artificial color, yellow number six, yellow five, red, red 40. 40. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have to do a whole... I, we've come up with so many more episodes from just this night alone. Yeah. Um, yes. But a lot of dyes uh, contain contaminants that are known to be cancer-causing substances. Benzene, uh, 4-amino biphenyl and 4-amino azobenzene are carcinogens. Uh-huh. And they've been found conclusively in food dyes. Yep. Yep. And, you know, the stuff like not only we're eating, but our children are eating who are super susceptible to all of this too. It's everywhere, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. It's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And hasn't that also like linked to more ADD, ADHD in children and all sorts of, um, uh, I just keep thinking like temper tantrums, but <laughs> um, well, it's it's the mental processing. Yes, yes, thank you. Because I just think of all of the high school students who would sit down at their desk with a bag of tackies and a coke, mm-hmm. and I'm like, it's seven a.m. Yeah, you really want to be doing that? No wonder you can't focus in class. No kidding. No kidding. No wonder you're a mess. No wonder you're a mess. The last one I want to mention. <clears throat> is uh, titanium dioxide. Sounds awesome. Animal studies have shown that high amounts of titanium dioxide increase inflammation and colon tumor formation. They were worried about seed oils (laughs) giving us inflammation. Conclusively does not, but the titanium dioxide they put in the food does. Right. What does it do in the food? I mean, why put it in the food? I mean, besides, like I said earlier, my whole theory, but... It, it, it's like you said, it's all to make it taste good. Yeah. It's to make it more desirable, yep. more addictive. Yeah. Just to keep you wanting more. Mm-hmm. Just to keep you wanting more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, some seed oils may have problems, but compared to all of these other highly chemically processed and synthesized compounds that are added to our foods, seed oils just don't even hit the mark. No. So while you're over yeah. here being all concerned about seed oils... Yeah. Everything else over here <laughs> is going on and you're not even thinking yep. about it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I know this has been a really long episode, guys, and I'm so sorry for going so long. But this has just been a crazy journey yeah. to, like, go through all of this and to just – I want everyone to ask themselves, why do we eat this junk food? I mean, really. Right. It's convenient. Yep. It's cheap. Yep. All right. Those are the two big reasons mm-hmm. I go. And, and there's, of <laughs> course, that it tastes good. But if I know that this thing contains chemicals that are really going to hurt me, okay, I, I could probably let go of the taste good. But the, the cheap and convenience is a lot harder. Yes. Convenience makes sense. It takes time and energy to make a proper meal. We have, I mean, like you were saying, we have priorities. We've got families to care for. It's it's hard to make a good healthy meal. Yeah, absolutely. It takes time. It does. Yeah. And when you have families that like, or just everybody's working, you know what I mean? So you're doing your nine to five and you're exhausted and you're concerned about this, that, and the other like that. When there's something you can conveniently do instead, it's so easy to go for that. Um, Right. Rather than these home cooked meals, which used to be, 
what you did that used to be so normal. And uh, it did. Yeah, there wasn't I mean, a McDonald's on every corner. What we did. Yes, <coughs> we've replaced essential parts of our life with so much. Like we used to be an agricultural society where we really relied on God for our food. You know. Yep. I mean, it even says in the Lord's Prayer, "Lord, give us this day our daily bread." How, how often do we sit down at the table, say the quick one, and then j just get started chomping away, not even thinking about where the food came from, how it was prepared, how, how it's supposed to nurture our bodies. Yeah. You know, our bodies are supposed to be a temple. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's something we definitely take for granted, and we... You don't think about it too hard, so then it's easy to just, uh, again, that convenience. Yeah. And I don't think it's we value so our bodies enough. Yeah. We take them for granted, too. <laughs> we, we do. Yeah. I mean, we take all of it for granted. Like, And the cheap part is what really gets me. Yeah. Because these chemicals are not cheap. They're not cheap to make. I mean, they may not be as labor intensive because you have all of this machinery basically doing it now. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that's cut the cost of some of it. But still. But still. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why has there been such a huge societal push to make these companies vilify seed oils rather than the other junk that's put in the food? Right. What's the end game? Why here? are we so, yeah. Yeah. And I also think people are super ignorant. So not only are they, you know, giving you like the wrong thing to focus on, but they're also taking away the education of, of whole foods in general. Um, mm. A long time ago, I was looking into um, kind of starting my own uh farm stand farmers market kind of stand thing and oh, yeah. yeah and somebody was telling me they're like you know people will come to you to get like the produce and they'll mm -hmm. show them a turnip and they'll have no idea what it is yeah and they don't know how to cook with it so even though they want to buy these things they don't know what to do with these things and they see dirt on it and they're like well why oh ew, it's dirty it's wrong it's like no it, it literally i pulled this out of the ground <laughs> Dirty. Yeah. Oh my God. You go home and wash it and this is how you cook right. it. And so, you know, like here, look at how bad seed oils are and we're not going to teach you how to cook anymore. We're not going to teach you right. what an actual like turnip or potato or corn. We're not going to teach you how to prepare these things or what they actually look like. No, we're going to give you the wrong things to focus on. All of it. Just all of it. Yeah. And we're also going to use these extremely expensive chemicals to keep you coming back for more of this stuff that you really shouldn't be eating anyway. Yep. I ah. do think part of it is a problem with plenty. Whenever mankind has like this overabundance of something good, it can't help but indulge. And I wonder if it's like this lingering fear that if I don't eat it now, it'll all go away. You yep. know? Yeah. I, I've had that conversation with my mom. Um, we we grew up uh, poor, and yeah. so 
for a long time, I really struggled with food because it was like, if I don't eat this, I'll never have it again. Or if I don't eat right now, like I'm never going to have food. There was a time where if my pantry was getting low, mm-hmm. I'd freak out and have to go to the grocery store. Like I'm going to need it. <laughs> and so I do, I think that is a huge part of it too. Um, that mindset that we're in of plenty and not plenty and yeah. Right. Being scared. Being scared. Being scared. Yeah. I think this is especially important for Christians to reevaluate because let's remember what God did for the Israelites, right? If we look back at Exodus 17, uh, God literally rained down bread from heaven so the people could go out each day and gather enough of what they needed. And the if you guys remember in, in this passage, they were allowed to gather a very specific amount, right? They were allowed to gather an omer of the, the manna each day. They couldn't get more than their fair share. They couldn't get less, right? Um, and if they tried to gather too much, it would like get filled with maggots and stuff. Right. I just wonder about that. You know, I, I think God was trying to teach the Israelites about patience and control and to not give our bodies over to this false God of gluttony. Yep. Um, Another one that we just don't think about often. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's a tough one. I mean, um, Philippians 3.19 says, Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindsets on earthly things. We're focused too hard on ourselves. We're focused too hard on in, just indulging, indulging in whatever it is. It could be food. It could be sex. It could be video games, like reading too many books. We're just indulging in whatever yes. that thing is that I want and I have to have it right now. Yes. So who is it that shall be master? Our stomachs or God? Who shall we learn to tame that beast that drives us to insatiable hunger? Or are we going to give our desires over to God? Absolutely. And Satan is a great deceiver. You know, he uses this thing that you do need. You need food. You know what I mean? You can't just cut it out. And so you have to be even more disciplined in, in your intake and even more disciplined in what you're, what you do with it and um, more mindful of it. And again, like, that one's so easy to um, to take for granted or to like, I don't need to be disciplined in this area. I'm disciplined enough everywhere else. And it's like the Bible even points to that. Like right. every aspect of your life, I am asking for discipline. I am asking for you to be mindful of what you're doing to this body and this life right. I've given you. And uh, I don't know. Just <laughs> yeah. No, that was good. And oh, I, I don't think this um, – eliminates people who are overly focused on it either. Like if you're sitting there counting your calories every single day, like you have your calorie journal or you go to the gym two hours a day and all you can think about is that last pound that you lost or that food you shouldn't have eaten or you have food guilt weighing on you. 
Yep. You are still making your stomach a God. Yes. That is still and, your high priority. Yep. Yeah. Anytime we put something before God, we are making it an idol. So whether it's we're overindulging or we're too focused on what we look like and how we feel, we're not living the way God has called us to live. Yes. So I know all of that was a lot to say. Who cares about seed oils? <laughs> you set it up so well, though. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But also, don't be fooled. Don't be foolish. Yeah. And don't be fooled. Like, I'm following along this whole trail with you. And I was like, oh, man. Okay. No more of this. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, but wait. Yeah. It, it doesn't actually matter. Right. And that's, and that's what the thing is like, don't get so carried away. Don't be so yeah. foolish and pay attention. And there's so much more going on. And like you said, like the ultimate focus is yeah. Christ anyway. So the ultimate focus is Christ anyway. Yeah. I mean, that this is a sin I struggle with very deeply personally. Like I struggle to eat healthily. Like I struggle to put in my body that I know what is good and what I should, you know, but I, I want to at least try more to turn that over to God to be like, okay, you know, I'm not going to let this be a worry that I let sit on my shoulders all of the time. God has called me to do more than think about my freaking stomach. <laughs> right. Yeah. That doesn't mean I should ignore it. That doesn't mean right. I should eat whatever is on the table in front of me. You know, I should be conscientious, but it shouldn't control me. It's yes. a very fine line. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. So, yeah, it, it's, it's daily work. It's hard work to eat healthy and to live right and to not let it dominate you. But we can at least try. But we, we can we can try. We're not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. But I'm even just being aware perfect. of it. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not even going to pretend to be. <laughs> no way. Knife PJ on the other end who would be like, dude, no. <laughs> At least in this area, I've got him to keep me <laughs> accountable. <laughs> right. But yeah. Um. I love that. I love that. You just took that so many steps. I loved it. I'm so glad. I yeah. know it was a lot and we went really long tonight, guys, but I hope you guys had a good time. Uh, we are going to go over to the Rumble Only section really quick for a little bit. I know <laughs> we've been here a while, but thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Elise, what do you have going on next week? So next week, we're going to take a turn and talk about the Anunnaki and um, ancient Sumeria. And are they aliens? Like, um, what do they call them? Ancient uh, astronauts or <laughs> something more nefarious like fallen angels and what's Ooh. their connection. So it's going to be a crazy, right. yeah, it's going to be a crazy ride next week. I think we're going to talk about some crazy stuff, but I'm excited. 
Let's do it. Good. Let's do it. I am, I am so hyped for it. Um, and guys, don't remember, if you are listening on audio, please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Remember, if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, send us a screenshot to quirksofcreation at gmail.com, and we'll feature you on the next episode. Yay. Yay. Uh, so head over to Rumble and Odyssey, and we'll see you guys then. Thanks again. <laughs>